0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, it is I, Andreas Giorgia, welcoming you back to a brand new episode of Reflections, a ACB 87 focused episode of Reflections, direct to your inbox, whether you're listening on iTunes or SoundCloud. Thank you very much for joining me today wherever you are listening of course and don't forget while you're listening to the show engage with me on Twitter at Andre M. Giorgio or over on Facebook as well search Andreas Giorgio. Let me know what you think I really do want to know what you guys and girls think about my analysis of this ACB 87 card which of course went down at the Motor Point Arena in Nottingham May 19th this past Saturday and it's a card that I believe has has brought us now more questions than answers <laughs> as um, as we now move forward, really, uh, with ACB. We know that they're going to be coming back to the UK in August. They announced that on the weighing day for ACB 87. And none other than Mr. Commentary himself, Frank Mia, the former UFC heavyweight champion, former Bellator fighter, I guess. I'm not too sure if that contract's still rolling over there. He fought in the, the recent heavyweight Grand Prix, lost against Fedor Milonenko. So we're going to have him over in the UK in August, which is massive, really. A legend of MMA to, to welcome Frank Mir over to the to the UK will be absolutely fantastic. So before the show, I put out a tweet on the old tweeter uh, asking you all what you wanted me to discuss, what you wanted me to talk about regarding ACB 87. I've got a general outline anyway from going through the fight and my main thoughts of that, but I'm going to kick it off really with the talking points from Twitter. So here we go. Feel Supreme CBD Oil, which of course is Matty Murphy, the wonderful sponsor of the Mind Diet podcast. And if you've not checked that out, that's my podcast with Vinnie Shorman, the three-time Joe Rogan, experienced guest, and Roberta Reed from MMA Plus delving into the mindset of a plethora of sporting athletes. So please check out the mind Diet. But Matty Murphy tweeted in, "Watching from home, it was infuriating. Trying to find a link, the Facebook stream was on loop, and the YouTube video was in Russian. So I was dipping in and out of the live streams. But yeah, one of the biggest problems." on Saturday night was the commentary, of course, of Brian Lacey and Frank Mir was overdubbed by the Russian commentary. There was a few streaming issues as well. And when ACB actually re-uploaded the fights to their Facebook page on the Sunday, they uploaded them. If you you listen really carefully, you, you can hear what Brian and Frank are saying, but it's under the Russian commentary. So... I'm not sure really what happened there. It's obviously a production problem. Uh, what Whatever's happened there, um, there's been some kind of mix-up with the, the sound feeds. Yeah, extremely frustrating. I saw a lot of people posting about that on Facebook and Twitter, uh, saying they really hampered their experience watching the show. And look, I, I can understand where they're coming from. I think Brian and Frank are a good commentary team, and they definitely bring something to the table with with their analysis and their output on the fight, and I think, come on, most people are used to now in this day and age, you're watching a fight, you need the commentary with it, it helps bring the narrative, it can help get you more emotionally invested, and without that, <laughs> with the Russian commentary, uh, as Matty Murphy actually wrote to me in Russian, I'm now more fluent in Russian, you've got no idea really what they're saying, so... As I say, I'm not too sure what actually went on there. I'm going to assume it's a production problem. It would be nice if ACB can sort something out in the coming days to potentially upload the fights with just the English commentary. That would be very nice. I'd like to go back and, and watch some of the fights with uh, a more clearer picture of what uh, Frank and Brian were were saying. So, Aiden James from Chris Reese Academy. He made a very, very brief appearance on the last show when we had Scott Pederson on. Um Aiden will definitely be on the show in the future. We'll have to see when we can line that up though. But would absolutely love to have him on. He's going to be on that Brave show in Belfast, June 9th. So great to to see him back inside the cage after a brief injury layoff. But Aiden said Fort Wooding looked very good despite the loss and dangerous in the feet at all times. Garnett showed great grit and his performance was a testament to his experience. So yeah, Wooding versus Garnett was awarded the fight of the night by ACB, both Wooding and Garnett getting that $10,000 ACB bonus, which is a massive amount of money. I can't even begin to explain the the ramifications that 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 has on the UK circuit. Um, It's you know, it's just a, a very significant amount of money which otherwise is not really being offered up. Yes, Aiden, very, very good point. I, I felt that Dom Wooding was excellent on the feet. He was phenomenal. His movement is just something that every time he steps back into the cage, you don't think he can get any better. Because he's been doing this since such a young age. That that Anderson Silver S style We talked about it when he came on Reflections on the last show. And it's a style that's really helped him come to prominence in the UK. And I thought he did very, very well against Garnett on the feet using that style. His movement was excellent every time Dean Garnett would try and come in, even with a jab, just wouldn't with his hands down, the way he shifts his body. And the thing that he really does not get enough credit for, it's not just the way he moves back it's actually the way he he diagonally shifts his body as well which i find very very interesting you don't you don't really see much of that in a in a good sense in, in MMA and especially in, in UK MMA it's a very unorthodox style so if if you haven't really taken a proper look at it go and watch the fight and just see how he's almost shifting at right angles every single time Garnett's coming forward and it's just it's just a pleasure to watch but the talking point of course with Garnett getting that split decision is how much impact the groundwork did have for for Dean Garnett we know he's a phenomenal wrestler you know that's what he's known for that's his bread and butter and Don Wooden you know I wouldn't say he necessarily struggled on the ground there was at one point I believe it was in round two yeah the end of round two where Garnett's going for the rear naked choke, but Wooding defends it really well palm to palm. He was completely calm in, in a sense as well. So it never never really looked like Dean was going to be able to sink that in fully. So besides the third round, it was pretty much a mirror for for one and two with, with Garnett trying to pressure Wooding against the fence, get the sweep, get the trip, and then work a position from there. If we're talking about top control and, and control on the ground, then without question, he definitely he took that advantage. But then, how do you compare? It's, round one was very close to me. Very close. I, I had round one, I don't know, can I can I say a draw potentially? Uh, round two to Garnet, and then round three to Dominic Wooden. So, should it have been a draw? I saw Dale Jordan spe- speculating that it could be on Twitter, uh, Saturday night. But, uh, yeah, it, it was a fun fight to watch, without question, the, the fight of the night for ACB. But where does this leave both Dominic Woodin and Dean Garnett? That's, uh, that's the real question here, because Dean Garnett, two-fight skid in ACB as well. He really needed that victory in Nottingham. And, you know, it was not a pretty performance. We saw wouldn't light him up on the feet in the end in the final round. A uh, right hand stumbled him and a jumping knee actually caused a, a cut uh, in the corner of the eye of Garnett as well. So he really weathered the storm well in that final round. But it meant a lot for him to come back from those two defeats to Magomed, Magomedov and Anthony Leone back to back. So he, he's back in the win column now, uh, Dean Garnett. I believe he is exclusively signed to acb so we should expect to see him back in the acb cage um sooner rather than later but we have to wait to to august to see him back not too sure on that but as we've seen he's fought in russia he's fought on the gold coast in australia so he's definitely not just relegated to acb's uk cards now the question that everyone's asking of course is What's next for Don Wooding? And this kind of leads to a point which Michael Morgan tweeted. He says, the talking point of the night for me was how formidable Wooding looked. The dude will continue to get better. A real problem for the weight division. Absolutely. As we said, he looked fantastic on the feet, on the ground. A fighter of Garnett's caliber was always going to cause him troubles on the ground. But I, I still felt he he dealt with it relatively well to not give up too many positions there and to defend the rear naked choke very, very nicely as well. But afterwards, Mike Morgan actually caught up with Dominic Woodin, who suggested that potentially in August he'd like to fight another man who competed on the ACB eighty-seven card, Pietro Menga. He lost to Takeo Mizugaki. We'll talk about that a little later on. That's a tasty fight. That seriously, is a tasty fight. Woodin suggesting August though. From from what I know. This fight on ACB was just a one-fight release from Bama. So he's still under contract with Bama. So whether they let him go again, let, give him another release to, to fight on ACB, to potentially to go up against Pietro Manga, or if they try and book that fight themselves, I think they would be better served trying to do it themselves, especially if Wooden is signed to them and Pietro Menga has fought for Bama in the past as well. Very well known for his time uh, when he when he fought Rani Sahade before they became good friends and, and training partners. Um so Pietro Menga potentially back in, in Bama as well could you know could be an interesting point that we see later this year. But whatever happens with Dominic Wooden, I completely agree with what Mike Morgan's saying. Yes, it's a loss, but it was not an emphatic loss. And he's a man that was standing tall at the end of the final round, really putting that beating on Dean Garnett, and he, he even attempted a flip at the end um, to a grounded to a grounded Dean Garnett. So the future's bright. Pietro Menga, that, that it's a great fight, but it's another real risky fight for both men, and it's a fight neither of them can really afford to lose again. I believe yes, Don Woodin his loss to Andy Taz was at flyweight. This is bantamweight now. It's a, it's a new division. But Pietro Menga, the, the guy was on the cusp of the UFC. He was in the UFC until he missed a weight. He comes out, Ray Meiss Bruno on Celtic Gladiator. He, he cracked a rib and he, he lost that fight. He comes back now. Mizugaki implemented, a again, a, almost a mirror performance of, of what Dean Garnett tried to do in terms of the wrestling ability. In that one as well, so I, I guess this bridges in really nicely in to the Pietro Menga Takeo Mizugaki fight. So I'm just going to pull my notes up here. It started really well for Pietro Menga. He he drops Mizugaki with a left hand, tries to follow up with some some strikes, and then he looks to potentially shift for the rear naked choke, but he can't quite get the back of Mizugaki, and he's he's sliding off. He's falling off. He releases and pushes Mizugaki against the cage. Ref pulls him away, and then this is really when the dynamic of the fight completely changed. That opening exchange was probably—I mean, I don't want to say this—but probably the best of Menga we saw in this fight. Mizugaki had that that strong game plan. He didn't go—he didn't go bull rushing at any point. He he really, you know, he bided his time well on the ground. This is what frustrates me most about this card now, looking back. Yes, there's a lot of decisions. And yes, a lot of those decisions came down to, to wrestling and to one fighter just completely imposing his will on the ground. But one thing I really noticed that a lot of these exchanges, and including this fight between Mengo and Mizugaki, no one's trying to advance position. He was pretty much stuck in butterfly for the remainder of the first round. I, is that down to, to Manga defending well or just you know Mizugaki doing what he needs to do to to see out the round the common thread in this one was every time Manga tried to lean in with, with a strike that was where Mizugaki was almost counter-punching but in the sense of he's countering with the takedowns he's countering to shoot every time Menga Menga leans in. Is that potentially down to the wide stance? Uh, maybe when uh, Menga does like to to keep a wide stance there, and it did allow Mizugaki to shoot him and, and pretty much secure the takedown every time he's attempting that as well. It was a strong performance from Takeo Mizugaki, but it brings me back to the point. Pietro Menga now loses his second fight on the bounce. It's a long long step away from potentially being in the UFC when he was signed to fight Tim Elliott in in Winnipeg. Can he afford another high-profile fight against Don Woodin or should he maybe go and rebuild, get a few wins under his belt first, build that momentum, get comfortable in the cage as well? Because let's not forget, he's had a ton of injury problems. That Tim Elliott fight scheduled for December 2017, that would have been his first fight in over a year. Then he came back in February to fight Ray Mice and Bruno, and look, I don't care what anybody says, ring rust is real. And all credit to Pietro Menko, because he, he, it seems like he'll step in to fight anybody. But he's took two very high profile fights against two top names in in the world of mixed martial arts, Mizugaki, Emre Mice and Bruno. So Dominic Wooden, I know for the neutral fans, it would be a tremendous fight. I like both of them. I'm a fan of both of their styles. So Wooden suggests ACB. I say I'm not too sure. That was a one-fight release from Bama. And uh, look, if Bama's got the opportunity to do it, like I said, to to put that fight on between Menga and Woodin, then they should definitely do that. I'm going to take a sip of my Earl Grey tea. Delicious. Absolutely delicious. And talking about delicious, let's do it. Adam Proctor. If you follow my Twitter you will have seen me say that this man is unquestionably the number one unsigned welterweight in all of UK MMA. Ashley Reese is an incredibly game opponent, and I felt he did himself justice in this fight, absolutely. But it was just the small things from Adam Proctor, really, which I was really impressed with. He was patient. He showed maturity beyond his years. And I feel a lot of that has to do with the fact that you've got Alex Enlund in your corner, former Cage Warriors champion, former UFC fighter. To have someone like Alex in your corner and to have a relationship that I know both Adam and and Alex share, it's undoubtedly part of Adam's success. Adam Proctor drops Reese momentarily with the left in the first round, but it is pretty much just a bit of grappling and minimal striking exchanges in in the first round. Round two is where it got interesting because Proctor just seemed so much stronger than Ashley Reese. He had Ashley Reese flattened out at the start of round two, pretty much all the way until the end, just landing countless unanswered shots. He even had an attempt for a head and arm choke at one point. Uh, But there is a real, real argument there that that was potentially a 10-8 round for Adam Proctor. Just very mature. That's the only way I can explain this. It's it's so difficult to put this into perspective here. How effortless he, he makes things look. Against Nathan Jones. He, he should never have manhandled Nathan Jones the way he did. To submit him in the first round. He's just strong and he knows when to pick his moment. But you can't count Reese out completely. Because in the final round he caught Proctor. Now I wasn't completely sure if this was... Just the left hand, which sent Proctor stumbling. If you watch the video, you can actually see Adam is turning at this point, looking maybe to swivel out or throw the spinning backhand. But it looked like there was a combination between Adam spinning and Ashley catching him with the left hand, which resulted in Adam Momentarily, anyway, going down to the floor, quickly recomposed himself. Anyway, as Ashley tried to rain down strikes, and I felt that Proctor was much more active off his back as well than Ashley Reese was in round two when, when Proctor had him flattened out. So unanimous decision there. Now the question is posed: What do you do with Adam Proctor? He's unsigned. He's not signed exclusively to A C B, to Bama, or to Cage Warriors. He's fought in all three of those promotions now as well as Tanko and Made for the Cage in Bama you've got Terry Brazier the current welterweight champion but if the tweets from the Bama social media or anything to go by they asked who do we think Terry Brazier should defend his title against next the options were like Ian Pascu, Justin Berlinson, Kiefer Crosby no mention of Adam Proctor there even though he defeated the previous number one contender Nathan Jones and now he's got a win against at what what this point was another top undefeated talent in Ashley Reese. So cage warriors maybe. I heard there's a there's a vacancy for the championship. Craig White, the Thundercat, a big congratulations to my friend, if you're listening. Signed to the UFC steps in late notice for Gunnar Nelson to fight Neil Magny, UFC Liverpool. He was supposed to fight for the welterweight championship on Cage Warriors July show in London. That ain't happening now. So, I tell you what Cage Warriors, if it's possible, I'd love to see Adam Proctor challenge for that vacant welterweight championship. The way I I saw it going, but before ACB, Nathan Jones is fighting Ross Houston. Would you potentially put the winner of that fight against Murdad Jasmini or maybe Lu Long? Lu Long is supposedly fighting Sean Lomas outside of Cage Warriors. So there are a few names there that you could put into the mix. But if we're going to throw Adam Proctor in there right now in terms of momentum, in terms of how impressive he's been, uh, over the past 12 to 18 months. I think he definitely deserves a shout there. When we're talking about the Cage Royce welterweight title picture. Or the welterweight title picture in any promotion really. I think he could walk into a national or European level championship fight. Um, so yeah. Great performance there by Adam Proctor. The penultimate fight that I want to talk about. Regis Sugden. Stephen Martin. Uh, um, where Where to begin on this? I mean... If you followed the interview I, I did with Regis Sugden on uh, you know late last week, you will have known that this was a big fight for Regis. Coming back after two consecutive injury breaks so early on in his career for a, a fighter that's been active pretty much all of his youth career in, in K1 to have to take those those two breaks just as he was really building momentum in MMA after he challenged Alan Philpot for the the Lonsdale Bantamweight title and he, he lost that fight. There was a lot riding on Regis coming back and, and coming back emphatically. He was supposed to fight Azzy Thomas. We all know now that Azzy was removed from the card when it was revealed that he had a anti-doping violation from his time in EFC. in step Stephen Martin from Derby the the rival city of Regis Sugden's Nottingham and I just, I I don't know what happened in this fight, I really don't we know clear cut, above anything Regis Sugden has the striking element down to a T. the Sugden family, a lineage of very prominent kickboxers in this country his father Dean, a, a world kickboxing champion Chad Sugden One of the best kickboxers to come out of this country in the last decade, unquestionably. Bailey Sugden, his younger brother, making great movements over in the Glory promotion now. And Regis, we'd seen it as well. In the early parts of his MMA career, his striking looked very, very strong inside the cage. It looked like he'd adjusted the style perfectly. So, do we say the ring rust? has something to play into this the weight potentially his first fight at lightweight started his career at bantam last fight against aturo chavez on tanko where he got a decision that was feather and now this is lightweight i felt like there was a lack of activity from regis even even regis said this to me that yes he might be a bjj brown belt but the the difference between his jiu-jitsu and Regis's jiu-jitsu compared to Regis's striking and his striking were night and day. He felt that his his brazilian jiu-jitsu training, training at fourth dimension was was good enough where it wouldn't be a complete difference maker whereas his k1 experience on the feet was what would have carried him through this fight. And that's what I really expected as well. I expected him to avoid the takedown, just be smart, don't rush in there because we know Stephen Martin was going to look for that takedown. We know that's where he's most comfortable, on the ground. And we've seen in the past, he struggled on the feet. So I thought Regis was going to come with a very calm approach, pick him off slowly, slowly, and then in the third round, potentially look for the finish. But that that just wasn't what we saw. We didn't see much aggression. We didn't see much activity. And because of that, Stephen Martin was just allowed to conserve his energy, waiting for that right moment to go in and shoot the takedown and that's what he did in the third round Regis comes in a little bit more aggressive in the third round and that leads to a level change from Stephen Martin who gets a sweep and immediately he takes side control and the rest is history he he gets ahead in arm choke I believe Regis was unconscious from the submission and a uh, massive win for Stephen Martin who was prior to this fight, six and four. So where where do we go from here with Regis Subdim? He's still young. Time is completely on his side. I, I said this to him. His interview with me last week really reminded me of the the Alfred speech <laughs> in in Batman Begins, Why Do We Fall? So we can learn to pick ourselves up. And, you know, I felt that with all the injury setback, he was coming into this fight hungrier than ever to, to prove a statement. But for, for some reason or another, he just wasn't able to execute the game plan. I've I've seen his father, Dean Sugden, come out on social media and say, just look, this isn't down to what Steven Martin did. This is down to what Regis didn't do. So I, I think it was a massive learning curve for Regis Sugden. He, he's going to come back from this better and stronger. Whether he stays at lightweight, I'd potentially like to see him back at feather. I don't think he looked bad at all against Arturo Chavez. He's not necessarily the biggest lightweight, and when especially when you look at the lay of the land and uh, we only have to cast our minds back to a c b last year and Brendan Loughnane moving up to lightweight and we we you know Brendan's quite a tall guy he's quite a big guy compared to Pat Healy who had a a head of granite he was just massive big head as Brendan called him yeah at, at this this kind of mid to lower level size wise, it's not going to be a massive difference. But if you know going forward, Regis is going to progress. I'm not sure lightweight is the best place for him. Uh, potentially his next fight, I'd like to see him at feather. It's very you know it's frustrating that Nottingham show. I know it meant a lot to him. His his home crowd to to be able to come back for your your homecoming in your your hometown. You know he lives in Newark. It's just a stone's throw. It's twenty minutes. From Nottingham, um, but he'll be back. Honestly, I believe it. The Sugdens are a resilient family. Even when when Chad lost against Michael Wakelin, you know we we've saw him make a career for himself. Now begin to make a a name for himself in boxing. Bailey he lost to Zachary Zugari, but Glory Fifty Four is going to have another opportunity to get back in the win column. So if there's one thing I know about the Sugdens, they're resilient, and I'm looking forward to how Regis Sugden rebounds. And moves forward. Featherweight I'm saying. But we'll see what the future has in store. Let's wrap this ACB 87 round up. With the main event. Kane Musa. Robert Whiteford. Now in the build up. To this fight. There was a lot of talk. Between both these men. On social media. On interviews. They weren't necessarily. Very fond of each other. And then at the weigh-ins, they get in each other's faces. There's a bit of a scuffle. Brian, Lacey, Frank Mir have to, <laughs> have to separate it. It definitely built the intrigue up a little bit more for the fight. I, I feel that, to be honest, in general, ACB did a, a good job. And both Robert Whiteford and Kane Musa in their interviews did a very good job as well of building this fight. And to give it that main event feel. So I cannot knock them. For that, but the fight itself—no disrespect to Robert Whiteford whatsoever—but for a main event, that's not what the casual audience wants to see. Credit to him, implemented his game plan, pitch perfect. Take down, grind. Take down, grind. Take down, grind. Kane could not offer much. From his back, if I'm honest, Robert's very very strong on the ground. that judo background obviously really helps him uh, he's very proficient in b j j as well, and i don't know it kind of it really made me cast my 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 mind back to when Kane fought miles price, and that was a close fight where on the ground miles price. Just completely shut Kane out. We just did not really see much from Kane there. On the feet though, it was a much different story. And I think maybe we would have seen that here. But the way it went down on the feet as well. Robert Whiteford, being an experienced wrestler, he doesn't need to be in close to Kane. He can shoot from quite a far distance. As long as Kane, who uses that very wide base, is leaving his legs open like that. It doesn't really matter For Robert Whiteford to be in close. He can can sit back, wait for the moment and then shoot in. And that's exactly what he did in this fight. Kane tried to close the distance. He was throwing some front kicks, some low kicks. But, you know, honestly, really, really good from Robert Whiteford. Holds his ground, holds his position, waits for Kane to open up and he gets a takedown. He shoots in. He does that for all three rounds. My only problem is that we just didn't see much activity from Whiteford once it went to the ground. Very similar from when he fought Kevin Petchy. And that would have, that was my one point after that fight. It was I just would have liked to see a bit more activity. But can you can you knock him? It's winning the fight. It's winning the round. That's what you've got to do in MMA. Get the ten points. If if you're going to the judges, you gotta get the ten points. So it was a very, very traditional wrestler versus striker. And yeah great performance from robert whiteford to to get the victory there that's that's three on the bounce now for robert whiteford kevin pecky namfan and Kane musa so as much stick as he as he got at the end of his his ufc tenure he's been fantastic it's not been necessarily crowd pleasing mixed martial arts yeah he he had that fantastic submission choke against Pham at acb 450 sonic but both the pecky and musa fights very standard, just just strong wrestling. Afterwards, interview with Jim Edwards of MMA Knit, uh, he says, look, Jeremy Petley's injured, I'll, I'll step in on short notice to fight Saul Rogers at Bellator 200 this Friday. That's that's an interesting one, isn't it? Saul Rogers, Robert Whiteford, Brendan Loughnane as well. Even saying that he'd fight. Robert Whiteford. So those are two massive fights Brendan Loftane against Robert Whiteford or Rob Whiteford against Saul Rogers. I don't think it's going to happen this Friday. I'm not 100% sure if ACB was Safe MMA approved, but I'm aware that even if there's not too much damage taken, there's usually a 14 day mandatory no compete clause that Safe MMA impose in terms of suspension. So if that is the case and it is, Uh, a safe MMA event then he won't be able to fight Saul Rogers this Friday in Bellator Uh, but the talk is August maybe uh, when ACB return to the UK Steve (laughs) Steve from Severe MMA uh, tweeted very excitedly that he'd like to see that fight and and Rob Whiteford shut him down straight away in his classic Scottish style hey mate basically I've, I've just finished this fight let me rest first before we talk about me getting in there again um I mean, look, Rob, you're the one that said you'd fight Saul Rogers um, on Bellator 200. So uh, you can't completely destroy Steve for that. Uh, but it's a fight I'd like to see, whether it's Brendan or Saul Rogers. I think it's that upper echelon of the UK in terms of ranking and credibility, where you look at the names like Brendan name, Saul Rogers, and. Robert Whiteford and they're all names that you instantly recognize they're all names that you can look at and say they're credible of course Saul was in tough Brendan did tough as well and Robert Whiteford was in the UFC for some years as well so I'd be happy with either of those to be honest with you Um, so we'll see we'll see how how this moves forward in the coming weeks and months but as far as I'm aware I I just don't see it, it happening there's been no talk from Bellator anyway in terms of Robert Whiteford stepping in on short notice to fight Saul Rogers, which is a massive shame. We were going to see Saul make his Bellator debut against Jeremy Petley. Petley pulls out injured, uh, so that one is off the Bellator 200 card as well. But that pretty much wraps it up, my ACB 87 Reflections show. Let me know what you think. I, I would have loved to have really spent time talking about all the fights, um, but I believe this is probably gone on long enough right now. I'll just say very, very quickly, Peter Struss moving up the rankings. I saw the rankings today. He's he's moved up there now with his win over Fernando Gonzalez. So that, that's a good win for him. 13-3 and three now on his MMA record. Credit to Andre Winner for getting a stoppage on ACB. A second-round reenaking choke against Adam Oliev. Um, there were a lot of decisions on this card. There really were and it seemed to have just killed the entire momentum of the fight card. Every time you'd get a finish like a Steven Martin or a, an Andre Winner or even a Kevin Mullen, you'd have a few decisions uh going 15 minutes each time to to kind of just slow the pace down. So that was would really be my only complaint of the ACB card. Their matchmaking beforehand on paper was fantastic it may not have completely delivered in a sense of we were expecting you know high octane fast paced real competitive fights and most of them if not 90% of them I felt were very one-sided I I felt Whiteford was one-sided Mizugaki was a one-sided fight Chizagaev was one-sided Emerson uh, the list really goes on and on in terms of that but it was solid effort from ACB. It was really unfortunate that they had the, the streaming problems as well. But we move forward, August, for the next ACB event in the UK with Frank Mir, the former UFC heavyweight champion, coming over to fight. So um, Don Wooden said something about London. I'm not too sure if that's the confirmed location of the event, but would certainly be interesting to see ACB for the first time come down south. They've done Glasgow, they've done Sheffield, they've done Manchester, and now they have done nottingham so potentially could we see them come down south so that is it for the acb 87 reflections i've been your host andreas Giorgio. do not forget to subscribe to reflections on itunes to always receive the podcast first and you can engage with me on twitter at andre m Giorgio. until next time thanks for listening